This is Peter Rosenberger, and one of the reasons I wrote my new book, A Minute for Caregivers, is because I remember the sinking, despairing feeling of struggling as a caregiver. No one knew what to say to me. I didn't understand, and others didn't understand me. For decades, I foraged along and tried to find my path through this medical nightmare that Gracie and I have endured for nearly 40 years. And I've learned to speak the language of caregivers. I speak fluent caregiver. No pastor, no counselor, no medical provider, no friend should ever throw their hands up and say, I don't know what to say to that caregiver. Because I do. Give them a copy of this book. It's called A Minute for Caregivers When Every Day Feels Like Monday. They're easy to read, one-minute chapters that speak directly to the heart of a caregiver, and you can get them wherever books are sold. A Minute for Caregivers When Every Day feels like Monday. Friends don't let friends caregive alone. We continue our study of the parables, Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33, considering actually two parables this morning, both very brief, both very uh, encouraging, and both testifying to the amazing kingdom of God. Perhaps uh, you sometimes find yourself worrying about the state of the world or the state of our country, our culture, the moral decline. Perhaps you are uh, anxious at times about uh, the decline that we see, the moral decline uh, all around us. And perhaps you wonder about the effectiveness of the church or the lack thereof and uh, feel like you're very much in a minority. Sometimes we, I think we feel like uh, the church is losing uh, the battle, and even God himself uh, is losing. Well, if uh, you have those thoughts, as I suppose we all do at times, uh, take heart and uh, allow the Lord to speak to you this morning and be encouraged by what we learn from these two very brief but very powerful parables. Lord, thank you for your word. We, uh, we rejoice in the opportunity we have to, to uh, have the scriptures in our hands, and to, to read your word day after day, to hide your word in our hearts so that we will not sin against you. And we rejoice that we've never suffered a famine of the word of God. And may that never happen to our church or to our, our country. Uh, may we be good stewards of the scripture, and uh, may we be diligent to study and to memorize and to share and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. May your Spirit teach us this morning. May your Spirit be our preacher and open our hearts, open our ears and minds that we may be encouraged in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Amen. All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Many of you have seen the uh, series, television series known as Downton Abbey, a British uh, historical drama featuring a very aristocratic family and their domestic servants. It is set in the years 1912 to 1926, a time of great change, a time of uh, many new inventions from uh, oh, hair dryers uh, to uh, telephones to uh, motors. You know motors now as cars, as we call them. Many of these inventions were met with great uh, skepticism. Many of them were viewed as uh, highly unnecessary, inconvenient, and uh, not likely to have much of an impact. Uh, those of you that watch the series may remember when uh, an electric uh, mixer showed up in the kitchen and Mrs. Pat Moore, uh, the uh, head cook in the kitchen, uh, wondered what that contraption was for, and young Daisy said, uh, well, Miss Pat Moore, it beats eggs and whips cream and all sort. To which uh, the older Miss Pat Moore replied, but you and I can do that, Daisy. And then there was a the day the refrigerator arrived, and again, Miss Petmore found it very unnecessary and protested and thought the icebox would suffice. It had done well for many years and would do so for many more, she thought. And finally, these protestations were just too much, and Lady Grantham confronted her and asked the question, is there any aspect of the present day that you can accept without resistance. And Mrs. Patmore, quite the colorful character, whose profile could best be described as very short and very round, replied by saying, Oh, my lady, I wouldn't mind getting rid of my corset. <laughs> Point being that most of these inventions were... Uh, were met with some degree of distrust, if not disgust, and seemed to have no lasting value. I wish to speak to you this morning about another invention, although that's not uh, quite the appropriate word. I refer to the kingdom of God. One of the first things John the Baptist said in the Bible was repent for the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. That is to say, something new, something radically different was at hand. Jesus said the same thing, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And a bit later in his ministry, he said, if, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. So something big had happened with the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what these two parables are about. And the first thing we learn here is that the kingdom of God has a very small beginning. Verses 31 and 32, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed 
Verse 32, it is the smallest of all seeds. Indeed, it is about uh, one to two millimeters in diameter. People like me that need these things probably wouldn't even be able to see a mustard seed without some assistance. It was the standard of smallness, in fact. In Jesus' day, when someone wanted to make the point that something was teeny tiny and extremely small, they would say that it was as small as a mustard seed. That was a very common figure of speech. And Jesus is saying, that's what the kingdom of God is like. A mustard seed, nearly invisible, teeny tiny. And note, he says it's like a mustard seed. It's not like a 50-pound bag of seeds. It's one seed, one single, solitary, little, teeny, tiny, unimpressive seed, which begs the question, what good will that do? How much impact will this new invention have? Will it be around for long? Will it, will it have any usefulness whatsoever? How much good? can come from one little baby born in one little manger in the little town of Bethlehem. How much good can come from one carpenter's son who was raised in Nazareth? Nathaniel didn't think anything good could come out of Nazareth, did he? No, our society then and now tends to be impressed with bigness, with largeness, with uh, things that speak of power, uh, be it a, a powerful army with, uh, with great weapons, or even a big football stadium that can seat 100,000 people, or even a big concert uh, with uh, great numbers of young people as far as the eye can see. When I was a teenager, I went to Municipal Auditorium and I watched, uh, heard Three Dog Night and had a great time and Elton John and had a great time and others. And there may have been 10,000 people there and I thought that was cool. But nowadays you, 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 you have Garth Brooks singing in Central Park as he did in the 1990s in front of 750,000 people. Now that's impressive. That gets attention, makes news. Or the Rolling Stones back in 2006 performing before 1,500,000 people in Rio de Janeiro. That is impressive, but a seed, one seed, one mustard seed? What on earth? The, the kingdom of God is like that? Is there any hope for it? Any, uh, any, any reason for optimism about this kind of kingdom? Oh, maybe there's a solution. Maybe if the, if the one who sows the seed is rich and famous and impressive and influential, that will give it credibility and that will jumpstart the kingdom and it will never look back. Who is the sower? Let's see. Let's see what the answer is here. Uh, the kingdom of heaven 
as like a grain of mustard seed that a man, a man, did you hear that? A man, just a man, <laughs> nothing, nothing impressive, a nameless, faceless, underwhelming man, a nobody. I don't know about you, but I would say this kingdom needs a somebody. If this kingdom's going to go anywhere, if this kingdom's going to make a difference, it needs a somebody, not a nobody. That's the way I think. That may be the way you think. That is not the way God thinks. God loves to use nobodies. Like nobody fishermen, Peter and John. Like nobody tax collectors, uh, Levi. Nobody disciples, uneducated men that changed the world. You know who wrote the melody for Amazing Grace? I didn't know this. You may be way ahead of me, but uh, this week I learned who wrote the melody for Amazing Grace. Actually, I didn't learn it, and you haven't either, because we don't know who wrote the melody. You can go to the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., and check it out, and check out any authentic uh, manuscript of that hymn, and it will say at the bottom or somewhere, words by John Newton, melody unknown. Probably... It was a common West African slave tune written by some unknown slave on the five black notes on the piano like so many of the famous spirituals we still hear today. Swing low, sweet chariot, and uh, every time I feel the spirit and others. Just those five notes. And they built the power and the pathos of the wonderful spirituals on those five notes but we don't know who did it and may never know till we get to heaven just a slave just just a nobody and God loves to use nobodies a man with a little teeny tiny single solitary seed that's what the kingdom of God is like I would have to say this just does not look promising at all humanly speaking. But I did say that these parables were encouraging, did I not? And indeed they are. Because secondly, we see that this little seed, nearly invisible, has secret power. Verse 32, it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. This seed grows. It grows silently most of the time. It grows invisibly most of the time. It grows steadily because it has this secret power that never makes headlines. There's never any breaking news that uh, there's one new soul that's been added to the kingdom of God. Most of the time, it's one person at a time. There may be some occasions in history where there's some mass evangelism or mass revival or a, a family gets saved or something of like that sort, but most of the time, it's one 
single person at a time, quietly, silently, invisibly, steadily, the kingdom grows. In 1857, Queen Victoria called for a, a solemn assembly, a national uh, prayer or time of worship and humiliation in, uh, in London because of the Indian mutiny against Great Britain. And Charles Spurgeon was asked to speak, and he went to the Crystal Palace a day or two before the event, and he walked around looking for the place he might want his pulpit to be. And they were expecting the largest crowd in the history of London. Nearly 24,000 people were expected. And Mr. Spurgeon found the spot he wanted the pulpit to be. And he, he stood there and he shouted the words, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it sounded good and he was satisfied and he left. That was all he said. And the next day he came back. And a workman in the building sought him and found him and told him he'd been working in the building the day before when Mr. Spurgeon shouted those words. And his heart was pricked by those words and he went home and he wrestled with God and was eventually converted that night and gave his life to Jesus Christ. There is secret power in this little seed. One would never guess it. One would look at the seed and say it's insignificant. One would look at it and say it's, an, it's impotent. It's foolishness. It's like the foolishness of a Sunday morning sermon. It's like the foolishness of preaching the cross, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. But the fact of the matter is the seed is not vulnerable the seed is indestructible. The seed is invincible. There's a secret power in it. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And the people who plot can't prevail against it. And the nations who rage can't prevail against it. And a virus can't prevail against it. Persecution can't prevail against it. Because it has unbelievable dynamite. The dynamite of God, Paul says in Romans. Secret power. After John Wycliffe was dead and buried, his enemies exhumed his bones. They hated him so much. They exhumed his body from the grave and they burned his bones and they scattered those ashes in the river swift, thereby symbolically at least attempting to silence him once and for all but the historian said it had just the opposite effect because there's secret power in the seed and it was as though Wickless ministry Wickless impact expanded throughout all of Europe via the rivers and the tributaries and he became the morning star of the reformation there's a similar story with John Bunyan, thrown into prison by the magistrate of, of uh, Bedford. And when he threw him into prison, the magistrate said, At last we are done with this tinker and his cause. Nevermore will he plague us. For his name, locked away as securely as he, shall be forgotten. Done we are. And all eternity with him. Well, 
Not so fast, Mr. Magistrate. We, we are not done with Mr. Bunyan. I'm quoting him this morning, as a matter of fact. We're still reading the Pilgrim's Progress 340-some-odd years later because there's secret power in the seed and the kingdom grows and the gates of hell can't stop it. This will be a significant, even substantial kingdom, verses 32 and 33 it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Three measures of flour is a lot of flour, but a little bit of leaven goes a very long way. And this little mustard seed becomes a very large tree in a place of safety and refuge for the birds of the air. Point being, the kingdom will grow and grow until it is significant and substantial. I might even use the word gigantic. Oh, you say, doesn't the Bible indicate that there won't be many people in heaven? The road is long and narrow, and few there be that find it. And yes, it does say that. And there were few in Jesus' day, few of his own people. He came to his own. They received him not. The religious leaders of his day didn't receive him. But the Bible also says there'll be a multitude no man can number from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne of God, wearing white robes and worshiping our Redeemer. The prophet says of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. Not the decrease. The increase of his government and peace, it'll never end. And then there's that marvelous and mysterious passage we read earlier from Daniel 2 about the statue. And, oh, the old king had a great dream, and he was troubled by it. He couldn't figure it out, nor could his wise men. But God gave Daniel wisdom to know the dream and to know its interpretation. And it was a statue composed of different elements. And then there, there was a stone that struck the statue and destroyed the statue. The, the statue crumbled like dominoes. And that statue represented four successive kingdoms, beginning with the king's day, Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, and then Rome. Big, powerful, strong, seemingly invincible kingdoms until the stone came along, this rock. And if you were listening carefully, you noticed something about the stone, very unique. It was not cut, not made by human hands. But instead, this was God's stone. It was God's rock and represented the kingdom of God. And Daniel even says, in those days, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And that stone we read there becomes a mountain. And not one little mountain, but a mountain that filled the whole earth. So you get the picture here. All the leaven was leavened, and the little seed became the largest garden plant, and the stone became a great mountain that filled the entire earth. The kingdom grows and keeps on growing because of secret power in the seed. And one great day, it will be a very substantial, significant perhaps even gigantic kingdom. I know that once upon a time the kingdom seemed dead when Jesus was dead and buried. But he rose and he sent his spirit and the spirit sent the disciples and they spread the gospel. They went to Antioch and to Macedonia and Asia and even to Rome. 
and there was great persecution, many martyrs, but the secret power was already unleashed on the world. And the gospel began to take root, and Constantine, 4th century, declared Christianity to be the official religion of the empire. And from Constantine to Charlemagne, it continued to spread throughout Western Europe. And from Charlemagne to Aquinas to Luther, it spread into Germany and Norway and Iceland and Greenland. And along came a man named Calvin who had great influence in, uh, in France and Switzerland and England and Scotland and even America. And more than one historian feels that John Calvin is the true founder of our country. And we established our forefathers at City on the Hill, as you know. And meanwhile, the Moravians took the gospel to the West Indies and Hudson Taylor to China and David Livingston to Africa and William Carey to India and others to different places. And the kingdom grows. But you know what? I'm telling you names of people you know, somebodies. And I'm not doing justice to the nobodies that also spread the gospel, that took that one little seed and sowed it, and it had power. Somebody did that in your life and my life, and that's why we're here now, worshiping the Lord, even separated. You may be worshiping in your pajamas at home, as I know some of you are. And I may watch this service and enjoy my cinnamon toast, as I have begun to do in recent weeks, you know. There are a few advantages to this uh, virtual worship, are there not? But the point is, we're all worshiping this great God because of that little seed that had secret power and the invention, God's invention, is making steady progress. And believe you me, friends, fret not. Let not your heart be troubled because a day is coming when this gigantic kingdom will be far more visible than it is today. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And that little teeny tiny mustard seed will become a full-grown tree of life. One on each side of the river of life. Bringing forth its fruit every month of the year. Its leaves being for the healing of the nations. Let's pray. Hasten the day, Lord, when your kingdom will come in fullness and power and glory and uh, you'll remove every fear and anxiety that we have. Hasten the day when every knee will bow before you and confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. In the meantime, give us confidence that this little seed is indeed the dynamite of God. So may we share it, may we sing it, may we preach it, regardless of those who think it's foolishness. Uh, use it to make our ministry grow and to make your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bless our infirmed and our sick. We think in particular of Chris Dozier and her husband Don, Cleta Ray and Wendy Beasley, Mike Stevens and Andy Burton, Arlene White, Ted Botter, Larry Beckett, friend of many of us here, Joyce Davis and Edna Pearson as they mourn the loss of loved ones. Lord God, you know our needs before we call out to you, and you've said that your grace is sufficient. So increase our faith and uh, encourage us 
in the wonderful news we've considered this morning. Glorify yourself through nobodies like us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've heard me talk about Standing with Hope over the years. This is the prosthetic limb ministry that Gracie envisioned after losing both of her legs. Part of that outreach is our prosthetic limb recycling program. Did you know that prosthetic limbs can be recycled? No kidding. There is a correctional facility in Arizona that helps us recycle prosthetic limbs. And this facility is run by a group out of Nashville called Core Civic. And we met them over 11 years ago. And they stepped in to help us with this recycling program of taking prostheses and you disassemble them. You take the knee, the foot, the pylon, the tube clamps, the adapters, the screws, the liners, the prosthetic socks, all these things we can reuse and inmates help us do it. Before CoreCivic came along, I was sitting on the floor at our house or out in the garage in, when we lived in Nashville and I had tools everywhere, limbs everywhere and feet, boxes of them and so forth. And I was doing all this myself and I'd make the kids help me. And it got to be too much for me. And so I was very grateful that Core Civic stepped up and said, look, we are always looking for faith-based programs that are interesting and that give inmates a sense of satisfaction. And we'd love to be a part of this. And that's what they're doing. And you can see more about that at standingwithhope.com slash recycle. So please help us get the word out that we do recycle prosthetic limbs. We do arms as well, but the majority of amputations are, are lower limb, and that's where the focus of Standing With Hope is. And that's where Gracie's life is with her lower limb prostheses. And she's used some of her own limbs in this outreach uh, that she's recycled. I mean, she's been an amputee for over 30 years. So you go through a lot of legs and parts and other types of materials, and you can reuse prosthetic socks and liners if they're in good shape. All of this helps give the gift that keeps on walking, and it goes to this prison in Arizona where uh, it's such an extraordinary ministry. Think about that. Inmates volunteering for this. They want to do it, and they've had uh, amazing times with it, and I've had very moving conversation with the inmates that work in this program. And you can see, again, all of that at standingwithhope.com slash recycle. They're putting together a big shipment right now for us to ship over. We do this pretty regularly throughout the year as inventory rises, and they need it badly in Ghana. So please uh, go out to stadywithhope.com slash recycle and get the word out and help us do more. If you want to offset some of the shipping, you can always go to the giving page and be a part of what we're doing there. We're purchasing material in Ghana that they have to use that can't be recycled. We're shipping over stuff that can be, and we're doing all of this to lift others up and to Point them to Christ, and that's the whole purpose of everything that we do, and that is why Gracie and I continue to be Standing with Hope. Standingwithhope.com Take my hand